We are never given proper leadership training or management training. So we as executives very often set people up for failure. Welcome to Hardly Working, a podcast about how we can improve work, life, and everything in between. These are recordings from live conversations on Fishbowl, a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can join us live next time on the Fishbowl app. We have events every day. All right, let's get right into it. Hi, everybody. I'm Paul Falcone. I am the former Chief Human Resources Officer for Nickelodeon, where I had the honor of working with Mark Taylor, who is the general manager. And I think we made quite the couple, or quite the duo. <laughs> and we're just honored to come to Fishbowl and talk. Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself, and I'm going to do a little bit of the interviewing here, and we'll see if we can strike it up. Sure. My career path was pretty natural to be in the entertainment business. I started in the restaurant business when I was 17, washing dishes, eventually had my own restaurant where I was the chef. And as restaurants go, mine went that way. And at age 34, I had $600 in my pocket and decided I needed to start life over. So I started as a bookkeeper for an animation company called Deep in 1984. And they did Inspector Gadget. And from there, I became their VP of Finance. From there, I went to Alchemy 2, VP of Finance for uh, Alchemy 2 to produce Teddy Ruxpin, the first animatronic doll, then worked for a little company called Jetlag, then opened and started Sony's animation division in 96, opened and started Nickelodeon Animation Studio in 97, opened and started DreamWorks TV in 2013 with the largest order in showbiz, a billion-dollar order from Netflix end of 2017, and have been consulting ever since. Most recently, consulted on Arcane for Netflix, which is a riot and for Chiefs production out of Paris. And along that way, I, I established a leadership program that I call the Four Pillars of Leadership. And so I've been doing that, along with still consulting for studios like Sony, uh, Wild Brain, a number of other uh, high-profile animation studios. So that is me. And I always have my Nerf gun, no matter where. You do have a Nerf gun. I've written about the Nerf gun. It's true. So, so you're telling us, though, that you can start as a restaurateur and then become a head of an animation studio? Is that, is that the message here? Pretty much the direct path. Yeah, that's what I would recommend to everybody. The, the direct path? No, it's good. That's good. Okay, yeah. so everybody, so my background was I worked with Viacom, which is the parent company of Nickelodeon for about a decade. Those first eight years were probably with Paramount Pictures, and then I moved over to Nickelodeon. And I would have stayed at Nickelodeon for the rest of my career. I knew when I was there, this is like the coolest place I will ever work. And again, being in human resources, and I'm, a, I'm an author, I've written 15 books. I write on leadership and, and, and performance management and effective hiring and all that stuff. But watching Mark, I was just in amazement. I was like, wow. I mean, talk about a GM who gets it. He gets people. He gets culture. He sets the right expectations. Uh, you know, dealing with creatives is a different beast. And I just took a lot of notes, to tell you the truth. And one of the most recent books I've written was a book called Workplace Ethics. And the subcategory is Mastering Ethical Leadership and Sustaining a Moral Workplace. And I think I dedicated, what, four or five pages to you, Mr. Taylor? Four or five. Um, it's just dare I say. Yes. It was. It was. And it's all about how Mark led at Nickelodeon, which we're going to focus on in this session, because I think so much, Mark, of the magic that you were able to do, people can translate into new environments. It doesn't have to be entertainment. It could be any kind of environment. But 
strong leadership is what it is. We're going to pick that brain <laughs> that's okay with you. You're absolutely right. Leadership isn't just for a particular sector. Leadership is leadership. And I've always felt that it doesn't matter where you drop me into, I, I can rise to the occasion. And it's not because I know whatever that product is. It's just about knowing people. And people is what make the product, right? Absolutely. Uh, happy cows, you know, give more milk or whatever the expression is. But you're right. You get more out of people because they're giving discretionary effort. They want to be there. They want to make that happen. And truthfully, Mark, they wanted to make you proud of them. Tell us how it worked. Because my biggest aha moment started on my first day when I transferred from Paramount to Nick. And at Nickelodeon, we sat in orientation and the general manager, Mark Taylor, came and sat with us. And we had animators, we had uh, HR guy, we had, you know, whoever, janitors, whatever. It didn't matter who was in there. Tell us about how you approached day one for new employees. As I said, you know, people are the most valuable commodity, right? They're your asset. And so for me, the first, what's so important is creating a relationship. And the relationship isn't created over beers and food. Relationship is created over values. So the first day, what was so important to me was to let each and every one know who I was, what my values were. They didn't need to have identical values, but I wanted them to have similar values. And the similar, you know, the values are very simple. You know, it's something like mutual respect. We're going to practice mutual respect in how we treat each other, right? We're going to use words like please and thank you. I didn't feel like I needed to be their parent, but I wanted to give an example about what that meant. We're going to lead with passion, right? We're going to believe in ourselves. We're going to make sure we have pride in our work. We're not going to compete against others, but we're going to make sure that our work we have pride in. And then, you know, once you lay that foundation and that framework, then it's so much easier to A, call back and go, when you go by and see them, you know, you can say, how you doing? One of the phrases that I would always use, are you feeling valued, appreciated, or respected today? If you are, I feel we've done our job. If you're not, then let's talk. Let's find out where I'm going wrong. Because if you don't feel that way, then you're not going to perform that way. So, you know, it's a very, very simple concept about establishing a honest relationship. You know, sometimes you're going to go deeper, sometimes it's not. But the more you know about the person, the more you know where they grew up, their school, family, all that kind of stuff. Not necessarily work. You want to know at some point in time where they want to get to. But most of all, it's about the human being. Well said. Well, someone should write that in a book. They, they should have that <laughs> somewhere. No, no, I, I totally get it. So let me ask this, Mark. You, you would talk to the new hires like on Monday when there would be, would we do new hire orientation maybe yep. once a month, right? Yep. But, th but then I remember you would call us in, the ones who were in a leadership role. We had to follow up with you like on Wednesday in yes. your office. Yep. That was a little bit of a different message. Tell us about that one. Well, you know, it was more about just saying, hey, team, this wasn't about, you know, smoke and mirrors. I didn't just say those words because it makes us check the boxes off. I said those words because that's who we are. And one of the things that I think you may have recalled this, Paul, but what one of the messages I, I always wanted to send to the senior leadership team is, I am not going to see everybody every day. I'm not. I'm going to try to get around, 
You don't see everybody once a month, at least by walking around and everything. But we had like 800 employees. But I said, this group here is going to see everybody every day. And I'm going to use a technical term here. If you are a butthead, then I'm going to be perceived as a butthead. So I need you to have the same values that I have. You don't need to be the same person I am, but the values are important. And if we have those values and we push those values down, then we are going to be incredibly successful and there is nothing we can't do. So that was basically the theme of our getting together. And I never did feel that butthead thing. I, I think I was good. I, I really kept my, I was careful not to go down that butthead route. Well, the funny thing, Mark, to me is it's almost like in the context of the book when I was writing, it's about values-based leadership. Yes. And it's so important to talk to people about who you are and what your values are. And very few managers do it. And you know, the funny thing is to me, it's like, okay, we've got an employee handbook. We've got a policy and procedure manual. At Nickelodeon, we had a code of conduct. We had a union contract. Yep. All of that stuff you can put on the shelf. Yes. And go back to your grade eight rules or whatever the number was. Yeah. Because everything that you said encapsulated the spirit of really who you needed to be. And I think people need to know that when people feel like this place is special. And you, you told us in that follow up meeting with the management, it's like, to your point, you guys, you are me. But the bottom line is I'm holding you all accountable for keeping yes. this special culture what it is because to your point i won't see it all the time but i expect you to be me and to respond the way i would and i'll tell you what it just got everyone aligned everyone was on the same page and everyone knew what those expectations were i think that's brilliant i do it well ever since i saw you do it i do it with my own teams but right. i recommend that right company well, leaders whether you're a vp svp evp you know general man whatever this is this is smart leadership not only is it smart, well, yeah, it is smart, but it provides a touch point and a connection. And once you have that connection, whether it's leader down or folks up, it doesn't matter. But once you have that connection, honestly, it can put chills through you, goosebumps, because you're going to feel like you're part of something bigger and that you're all in it together. When you're all in it together, you know, we all talk about give us 110%, give us 120%. And that's all talk because it's how you feel. But once you get that, I mean, it's such a great feeling. You want to let it go. And you want to be a part of that because it feels good. It, it's kind of similar to a, and I, and I know I've discussed this with you in the past, Paul, about I have this philosophy called 95.5. And very often as leaders, in 95.5, it's about 95% of your employee population is great, 5%, probably not, right? Because it would be great to say we have 100%, but rarely does that happen. Right. So in 95.5, very often, the leaders or managers are focused on the 5%, right? I'm going to get them. I'm going to, you know, do what I have to do. I'm going to, and they just focus on that 5%. And the 95% that are doing great kind of get left out, right? So I flip that. It's like, Honestly, I don't care about the 5%. I'm going to focus on the 95. And you know what happened, Paul? And I think you and I talked about this. The 5% became 4. The 4% became 3. The, you know, then 2. And we always had 1%. But my point is, by focusing on the positive, on the folks that are, are rewarding you, 
they want that. They like that atmosphere. And when somebody is disrespecting that atmosphere or not carrying their fair share, they become, you know, my my folks on the floor of like pulling these people aside and going, what are you doing? You know, this is a great place. We're all in it together. We feel like we're part of something bigger. You know, be part of this as opposed to wanting to not be part of it. Yeah, I would totally agree, Mark. I, I saw it. You know, the peer pressure fixes these things. Oh, And even when, you know, when you're a great leader, sometimes people can feel like, well, maybe I'm just too nice and people are taking advantage of me. The reality is, if you're leading with your heart, if you can pierce people's hearts, bottom line is, people are going to say, hey, knock it off. I see what you're doing. Paul is too nice a guy. He deserves better than that. And we can see it. So you better fix that real quick or you're not going to work around here. You know, peers can talk that way to each other. Management doesn't typically talk to employees that way. The peers will. And it fixes itself. So here's a question, Mark. The question is always that, how do you successfully manage creative types? So much is said about harnessing innovation, creativity, but it can be particularly challenging with creative non-corporate types, right? How does that work? And how did it work for you at Nickelodeon where you brought us to the point where, yeah, we were, well, at least when I was there, it was a heyday. I mean, we had the hottest shows in the kids' space. Yep. You, everybody wanted to work there. It was really yep. beautiful. Yeah, it was great. And, you know, and, and creatives are a challenge, a delightful challenge, but a challenge just the same. So when I would sit down, it didn't matter who it was, but, you know, it was Creative Driven Studio. So that meant that most of these people, if not all, had never really managed large teams before, right? So I would, the first couple of days when they got in, you know, I was kind of getting everything set up. And then I would pull them aside and I'd go through, Again, a lot of my principles and my beliefs are, which were, in fact, became the studio beliefs, and just talked about the value of not real expectations, but like realize that your influence, your impact is going to be so critical to the success of your show that let's talk about how you make positive impact, positive influence, as opposed to negative influence. And I would give an example of, uh, and I called it hand in the sand. And I would give this example, I'd say, let's say it was you, Paul. I'd say, all right, Paul, you and I are walking on the beach and I'm asking you to pick up as much sand as you can in your left hand, right? And you would reach down and maybe just directly grab a, a fistful of hand, or fistful of sand, sorry. And then I would say, okay, just hold on to that. Now I want you to take your other hand and put it in a nice, firm cup and now scoop all that sand up. And I said, now look at that metaphorically. And I said, look how much sand is in your hand that's firm but curved, as opposed to the one that you have that tight grip. So I want you to know that if you manage with a tight grip, you will never get the show that you want. If you manage with a firm but compassionate you know, grip, you cannot not be successful and your team will love you. It's not like you have to be easy on them. It's not like you have to be overly firm on them or overly restrictive or, you know, kind of choking them in a sense, you know, with your fist. I, and I would, that allowed me to, anytime I would hear, again, through the grapevine, that maybe the, the creator was a little hard on their team maybe unrealistic expectations from the time that we had. 
it would allow me to call back to that and then also call back to mutual respect, right? And call back to how we're treating our people. But more importantly, I can just say, which hand are you using? Are you using the fist or are you using the cup down? What are you doing here? That would be the big aha moment. And they go, oh, I got you. Okay. All right. Let me back it off. That was kind of trying to get them to imagine what it's like because, you know, usually, very often, the reason we're promoted is because we're the best at what we do in that discipline. It's not like we're the best leader. We, we kind of stumble into that. We're usually promoted because we're the best at what we do in that discipline. We are never given leadership training, proper leadership training, or management training. There's usually maybe a seminar we're asked to go to, but there really isn't hands-on follow-up you know, leadership and management training. So we, as, as executives, very often set people up for failure because we don't do that. So that's why, you know, I, and I would kind of go through this explanation with them also. And then they could understand also that they weren't on an island. Like, even though it was their show, myself and the rest of the team, that leadership team you spoke about earlier, was there to support them because we all have the, sh- the same beliefs. We all have the same shared values. We all have this same work ethic, you know, the same desires. You know, you don't have to be identical, but you have to be similar in how you're going to approach your teams and also with respect. And I totally agree. You know, aligning around values is so important with creatives because, again, these kids, for the most part, are very intelligent, but they were the ones sitting in the back of the room doodling, right? Yeah. With the pencil. They weren't necessarily the the A students with the, you know, sitting up with their hands folded. Yeah, and skills were not like top of the list, you know, especially you know, on these technology, you know, studios or right. company. Oh, you know, that's what I was consulting for Arcane. You know, we had Fortis on one side, which is the animation studio in Paris, but it had Riot on the other side. Brilliant company, you know, League of Legends and everything, but it's engineers, right? It's it's programmers basically. And they're they're not always used to working in in groups, you know, how we need to approach a problem or or again back to values. So it was, uh, I always found that, again, back to hand in the sand, I always found that that metaphor really worked. And like I said, whenever you can establish things like that, it's so much easier to call the creative or whomever your leaders are, whether it's your uh, productions, whether it's your teams, so much easier to call them back to where you want them to get to, right? You don't go through a myriad of 20, 30, 40 things that we want you to do. Nobody's going to remember that. But if you have Two or three, you know, kind of triggers that you can call them back to makes life much easier. Yeah, I totally agree. So the funny thing is a lot of people don't know what after I left Viacom, I'd gone to NBC. A number of their late night and primetime TV shows were my client groups, including The Office. And what was interesting was, it's funny, there's a story that I would tell because sometimes they would say, okay, HR guy, it's the beginning of a new season. We have to have a day where everyone comes back. Everyone signs all the people of, Everyone hears from the lawyer about sexual harassment. Everyone, you know, you do all that stuff as you prepare for a new season. And in this one circumstance, when they invited me to talk, I said, you guys, look, coming from Paramount, because I was, they knew I was from Viacom, I said, there was the story, the folklore on the lot about stage 19 versus stage 20. And stage 19 was Happy Days, and stage 20 was Laverne and Shirley. And the difference was Gary Marshall was the producer of both. But Gary's sister, Penny Marshall, was Laverne on Laverne and Shirley. So you would think he would have some kind of a preference for Laverne and Shirley. Well, interestingly enough, what happened was on the Happy Day set, 
And for those of you who don't know these two shows, they, they were in the 70s. But you've got, they're both great shows. But the difference was on the Happy Day set, the young kids loved the actors who were their parents. There was total respect. What Paramount would do is whenever anyone was coming to visit, they always wanted them to go to stage 19 and see what was going on at Happy Days. Because you could just walk in and you can feel the love. Now, across the street, it was stage 20. In stage 20, Laverne and Shirley were firing the team of writers. They were cursing like sailors. There was constant drama, constant yelling, constant firing this, rehiring that. Writers got to a point where they didn't even want to come look on that show because they figured it's like career suicide. But both shows were both exceptionally you know, successful. The question is, are you successful because of your people or despite them? And you have a case right there. Gary Marshall wouldn't even take people on his own sister's set because there was so much drama. And when you think about the last episode of The Office, which to me was the best of all of them, Andy Bernard says something along the lines of, I wish there was a way to know that like, you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. And that really, really resonated with me. And I said to them, you guys, we are in our happy days right now. I want this production to be happy days, not Laverne and Shirley. Okay, the reality for me is we get the work done through each other because of the way we have each other's backs. And my main rule is no drama. And, you know, I, that isn't something I can live with. Just so you all know, it's not something that I tolerate very much. So have each other's backs. We're all in this for one another. And let's make this our, our, our happy day so that 25 years from now, when we think back to this show, uh, you're going to say, yeah, wow, those were great days. And so that was my little spiel. And it took two minutes. But the values are still there. That little tagline about remembering, kind of remembering what you have when you have it. That's a brilliant, I mean, that's, that's how you do want people to feel. I mean, I used to, and I still, you know, whenever I consult, one of my taglines was, anybody can fill your checking account, but I'm going to fill your soul. And I really wanted people to, to feel that way because, I, hey, I get money's important, okay. don't get me wrong. This is a plug for my HR brethren out there, okay? So I spent three decades in human resources until about three months ago. And three months ago, I opened up my own consulting shop. So it's great. So I'm focusing on the writing and I'm doing training and coaching and all this stuff. So it's cool. But the question was, I think a lot of the relationship between you and me was personal. I mean, we just shared so many values. Yes. But how does HR, forget about me because I was only with you for a short time, but how does HR get that proverbial seat at the table? What do they need to do to earn that in the GM's eyes? What are your thoughts? Great question, and it doesn't happen often enough. I think HR needs to care about how we're building the boats or whatever we're building. It can't just be X's and O's. And they have, you know, I think you remember, I used to invite any of the HR team into our production meetings, right? You could, you could hear about how we're making this episode or this show or whatever it was. And it's a two-way street. The leader needs to go to HR and say, hey, I want you to understand what we're doing, you know, because HR is in a very, as you know, you know, very difficult position. They need to make sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and we're not stepping over any lines or anything. But in doing that, sometimes it becomes too sterile. What you and I shared was a common goal. We wanted that studio to be the best place that anybody ever worked, not the best animation studio. You know, not the best, you know, sounds the best place that anybody ever worked, right? 
And that was our, our measuring stick. And that's why we had shared that value. And I don't know how many people share that value and how many people know how the product is made. And you don't have to get into the minutia because trust me, I have, I don't know how game, games are made, but I do know the general idea so that when I'm talking to somebody about it, I get a sense of what they're doing. Now, I, I need HR to do the same thing because it, on an HR side, it's a whole lot easier if you stay out, right? Because you can make these impersonal decisions, not you, Paul, but HR in general can make an impersonal decision. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't sometimes. However, if you get in and you get under the hood and you start to understand, I don't need you to fix the engine. I just need you to understand how the engine runs. And you did that better than anybody else. You are still quoted by a number of people like Chris Newham. I'm sure you remember Chris. He was one of the producers and he's been with working with me a lot recently. But he always talks about how you sat him down and talked about perception, right? And when he responded with a couple of questions, you may not know how the, the CG modeler did his job, but you understood how important the CG modeler was to the equation. So you were able to give Chris just valuable feedback because you had spent the time to understand how the engine was built. It wasn't like you could build it yourself, but you had enough knowledge. And that's, that to me is about how both understand that they're so much better together, HR and senior leadership. They're so much better together than they are apart. Right. That's very moving. I love that. I, got, I have to reach out to Chris. I haven't talked to him in a while. No, but that's cool. Okay, so let me ask you another question. No, thank you. That was very complimentary. But here's a question, Mark. What I remember was you were being called overseas more and more mm-hmm. because they needed your help with different kinds of parts of animation that were either offshore or whatever it happened to be. How do you free yourself up? Because remember, a lot of this audience is going to be C-level talent, right? And how do you realistically free yourself up to get out of the office more without losing sleep at night? I mean, what worked for you in terms of being able to do that? What did you have to have in place at the animation studio? It's not blind trust, but early on, people earn trust, right? It's not given, it's earned. And, you know, I have, in in a sense, another little saying, there's many Taylorisms. Thankfully, this get through all of them. But, you know, I have a saying, you're entitled to nothing, you earn everything. And over a period of time, you know, this senior leadership, and again, back to values and everything, I could see their decision making. And if I would always let them make the decision, right? Because I knew that while it might not be my decision, it's not going to be too far off. And if it was just a little bit off, I would, you know, pull them aside afterwards and go, okay, I see where you were going. Next time, let's think about this, this, and this. And over a period of time, again, you don't have to make decisions like me, but you have to make them in the context of me, right? Like, you know where I want to go, you know where I want to get to. So over a period of time, I was able to build up, whether it was the line producers, the senior leadership, into into begin to thinking that way. So it freed me up. So I delegated down. I'm a big fan of delegating down. I really don't want to own anything. And and to that degree, I love it when I see people grow, right? When I delegate it down and there's not a better feeling to see somebody accept it and then build back up, right? I mean, that's a great feeling. So 
delegating down trust, right? Earning the ability to make decisions without me, not like I'm going to be on top of everybody and understanding my values are their values are the studio values. So once you kind of encapsulate into the value system or the value thought, then everything begins to fit in there. And even if your decision is off a bit, if it's staying within the values, you're going to be just fine. And more importantly, I infused or instilled or in whatever you want to say it, confidence that even if their decision wasn't right and it caused us to be a little late, caused more money, you know, whatever, whatever personnel have the confidence that we can course correct properly. Have that confidence. And if you have that confidence, honestly, your decisions will never fail because you will know what to do. So I think I may have gone a long way around your question, but that was my philosophy. And the funny thing is you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what coaching leadership is all about. I mean, when you think about it, Mark, to your point, nothing works better than delegating because you're giving people a chance to expand and to grow. We know when you study Gen X and Gen Y, right? The 35 and under and the 25 and under. These are the two most studied generational cohorts in world history. We know everything about them. And in study after study, in their top five is always career and professional development. So if you can have someone, number one, who's passing these things down to give them the hands-on experience to stretch that rubber band, it's almost that sense of when you say, you know, Paul, my favorite boss was someone who, yeah, I don't know, she seemed to have more faith in me than I had in myself. That's one of those elements, Mark, and you did that because I saw you do that for a lot of people and you did it for me too. And it is a wonderful feeling when you almost, I'll give one more analogy from entertainment for just a minute. For those of you who remember the either movie or the play South Pacific, there's a scene when the guy and the gal, the main actors are walking down the beach and they're talking to each other. And the girl says, you know, it's so funny. No matter what I did, I can never do anything right in my mother's eyes. And the guy says, it's funny that you'd say that. I don't remember ever doing anything wrong in my mother's eyes. And in that moment, you know, they look at each other and it's like, wow. But you can see the difference that becomes an underpinning of who you are. And when you have the coaching leader is the one who says, Paul, I'm not going to give you the fish. I'm going to make you learn how to fish. So tell me what your thoughts are. And it's almost like when I said, but Mark, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. And then you would say, what would the answer be? And the funny thing is it would make me laugh, but it would bring me to the point where it's like, okay, I'm going to put forward my best idea. Sometimes it was spot on with what you were thinking. And if it wasn't, you can ask a couple of more qualifying questions to get me to the ball. Oh, Paul, what about considering this and blah, blah, blah. Before you knew it, I had yes. the answer you were going to give. But boy, that did so much for that for, for me in terms of developing my sense of self-esteem, my sense of confidence. It's just a beautiful leadership technique and it works in any but, kind of environment. That coaching leadership piece is something we all oh, need to get better. Completely. And the nice thing about your books, Paul, and I know this is a shameless plug, but you reinforce that philosophy in every book that you write. I say every book, I haven't read all of them, but I've read most of them. But what I enjoy is there's that underlining note about that because it has to be there. It can't be, well, I gave him some feedback and uh, and so, you know, I did my job. It's like, no, no, boy, you sure didn't. You didn't do your job. You know, it's not about just feedback. It's about how how they're thinking. It's like one of my favorite 
again, phrases is walk me through your process. You know, it's a whole lot different than saying, what were you thinking? Right. You could say, what were you thinking? Or you can say, walk me through your process. And then when they're walking through the process, you can go, oh, okay. Have you thought about, as opposed to saying, why didn't you do? Right. It's the same outcome, but everybody work, walks away feeling valued, appreciated, respected. Right. At the end of the day, those three words, if you take nothing else away from this, this, uh, I don't know, podcast, I'm not sure what we call it, but now you don't mm-hmm. respect it every day, every day. That was a nice plug for my books. I'm not going to lie. I, I, whoa, that was pretty good. Thank you. And you check is in the mail. I, I love it. I love it. No, your books are approachable. That's what's so nice about them. They're approachable. Nobody is going to use everything, but everyone's going to use something. And they're easy reads. They're uh, practical reads. They're I can do this reads. So yeah, I mean, uh, give yourself plenty of credit because you deserve it. You absolutely deserve it. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate that. Okay, wait, but it brings up another issue. We talked about freeing yourself up to go overseas if that's where the business is needed. But we got to go back to the 95-5 principle because the five, you, you know the rule is it's always better to focus on building people's strengths than managing their weaknesses which yes. I totally understand and I totally agree with you. But there's always going to be 5%. And even if you're lucky enough to get it down to 4% or 3%, there's always going to be something there. A right. lot of senior executives, honestly, Mark, path of least resistance is avoidance. They are not going to deal with it. They're going to sweep it under the rug, hope it, fi- it fixes itself. And more often than not, it does not. Then some yeah. proverbial straw is broken on the camel's back. Yeah. I'm running into HR and they want a guy fired and drama, drama, drama. Right. How do you, what's your approach to dealing with, you know, constructive confrontation and talking to people about performance or conduct issues? It's, um, I don't want to say it's easy because it's never easy per se, but we also know that if we tolerate the 5% too much, then we're not going to be looked at as positive leaders because everybody knows the 5% isn't performing. So if we just turn our backs, then, then we as leaders are not leaders, right? And everybody knows that. If you're going to tolerate a poor performer, and I'm giving you 120, why am I doing that? Why am I doing that? So what, what I would do is I have a, a certain technique, and it's called choice. So if I had somebody that, needed, that I needed to chat with, I would have them come in, and I would make sure if I'm sitting at, at a normal desk, you know, it's a rectangular desk, right? And I know now it's proverbial Zoom, but let's just just do me the uh, the pleasure of just imagining right. a rectangular desk. And I, as the as manager or leader, I'm sitting behind the desk, and I usually have two chairs in front of my desk, right? Mm-hmm. So the you know the person would come in the office, and I would make sure I was, you know, either going out and greeting them and asking them to come in or whatever. They just come in. I would then, and they would sit in front of me, and I would then purposely move my chair over to the end of the rectangular table. So now we're not apart from each other. We're actually a little closer, right? I mean, it's just, you know, so I'm not using the desk as a dividing line, right? right? I'm, I'm now moving over and going, I'm going to welcome you, welcome you into this conversation. And then I would say, can I give you some constructive feedback, constructive criticism. 
And when I say constructive, it's mm-hmm. difficult for them to say no, right? So they're going to have to say yes. So now they need to welcome me in. <laughs> and so then I would go, all right, I have observed this, you know, seen this, whatever I need to do. And can you, again, back to walk me through, why do you think that's the right way of going about things? Or is it, did you used to do that? Previous jobs, is that how you were taught? So again, walk me through why why, why I consistently see this. And they'll, they'll kind of walk through it. And then I'll get to the end and I said, okay, I understand that, but you know, this behavior has to change. So I'm going to give you a choice and I'm fine. However you want to do this, I'm, I'm absolutely fine. You can, well, I understand where you're coming from. That's not an acceptable behavior here. So you have a choice. You can either change your behavior and I'll, I'll mention you through the, the change. I'm fine with that. Or you don't. But if you don't, what you're telling me is you choose to not be here because your behavior now cannot exist here. So we're going to have this conversation. We're going to come back in two in two weeks and we're going to check in on each other. We're going to see how we're doing. And in, in two weeks, and I didn't have to do this much, much, but I had to do this sometimes. If they hadn't changed, I would say, you've made a choice. And what you've told me is you've decided not to, to change your behavior. So you're telling me you don't want to be here. And I'm fine with that. So why don't we call a week from Friday, your last day? And I appreciate your honesty and not wanting to, you know, I wouldn't say that, I wouldn't be a smart ass. But my point was, I put it in their court to make that change. And if they chose not to, they understood what the outcome was going to be, right? And it was just, I don't want to say as simple as that, but it made them responsible for their and accountable for their behavior and more importantly, the outcome of our conversation. Yeah, and it treated them like adults too. Yes. Because the reality is when, once you can say, you know, this isn't working and you have to rethink it. And, and, and the most important thing that you said was, and I'll be here to help you. I will support you. I'll have your back. It's like, let's fix this now. My expression has always been, look, the most important decisions about your clue are made when you're not in the room. And that goes for you and me and everybody else. Yeah. But let me help you influence what people are saying about you when you're not in the room. Fix this now. I'll make it safe for you to do so. Yes. So this way, you take that off of your plate because you don't, it's not going to help you. And it's, it's certainly something that you can go with, but I don't know that it's in your best interest to do that over the long run. Do you want me to play that role for you? Can I help be that coach for you? And you yes. have that conversation with people. Look, some of them, the answer is yes. Some of them need to sleep on it for a night or two because they're not sure. Other mm-hmm. people, listen, I can't go in their hearts. I don't know what's there. If they're yeah. just trying to show me by saying yes, but yeah. they're really not sincere about it, it's going to show itself too. I can sleep better at night because I feel yeah. like, you know what? I'm holding people accountable. I'm treating them like adults and I'm there as a solution, but only if they want it. Well, I was marveled about what you just said earlier is it didn't matter how old anybody was you were a very much a proponent of treating them, quote unquote, like adults, but with respect and that they're capable of making their own decisions. And also the idea of mentoring, we used to have that conversation all the time, right? Mentoring, coaching, how do we help make people better through career pathing, through hallway feedback, right? You know, and hallway feedback in a good way. Or after somebody in, in a meeting has either led it well, has made a great point. I mean, I still do it. Meetings that I'm in, even if it's Zoom, I'll give them a call back and say, 
Wow, that was impressive. So you're coaching in a coaching way, right? You're reinforcing behavior that is going to be successful for them. All of these little subtle things like that little conversation I was just talking about that I have, 30 seconds, right? Maybe a minute. Like, really, we don't have 30 seconds or a minute to help our, you know, our team either A, uh, be supported, be recognized for a measurable contribution, improvement, whatever it is. You know, when I have my, my leadership, when I teach my leadership class, I give an assignment on the first day and I to the team and I tell them that here's what I want you guys to do. By the time we get back next week to go through the next part of the, the leadership, I want you to, when you go in and again, it would be over Zoom now or if it is the office, I want you to compliment somebody, not falsely, not me. It's got to be on the spot. It's got to be something somebody did. I want you to compliment them in front of everybody else, right? I want you to go, wow, all mm-hmm. that was great. I never would have thought about that. Wow, what a great idea. I want you to compliment somebody in front of others because that does two things, right? It does three things. It makes the person feel valued, appreciated, respected. It makes the team know that the manager or leader is valued, valuing them, appreciating them, or respecting them. And you, as the leader, know that you just made a difference. You made a positive impact on something that took five seconds to do, 10 seconds to do. You know, we're so guarded with that. It's really a shame. And then I'll ask them to do a compliment privately so that you can really even take that compliment further. You can kind of have an idea in your head if there's some a, a direction you want to go. But the idea is to, you know, to do that in private. And then the, the last thing is, especially in, once you're back in the in the office, is say hi to any of the employees you don't know, anybody you don't know. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I'll say hi, you know, when I was on the riot campus, but to somebody and they're like, what? Why did you say hi to me? Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Your MBWA was stellar. Management by walking around. I mean, yeah. I watched it happen. You knew everybody by name in that studio when we were at Nickelodeon. I was amazed. I was like, wow, how often do you see a GM who has that level of interest in people? But boy, Mark, it was an incredible experience. It really was in so many different ways. I just wish it could have lasted forever. I do too. You know, I do too. It was, uh, it was a great run and, uh, you know, for me, DreamWorks was a great run also. It was, you know, it was really nice. And I'm sure you felt you've had the same success as, you know, your beliefs, right? Every once in a while you go, well, you know, you may waver a little bit like, okay, my beliefs work to Nick, but can they work at XYZ, right? If you really uh, care about people, and again, this isn't about going out for drinks. It's not about partying with them. It's not about giving somebody more money than, you know, because your best friend, you know. It's just you sincerely care about somebody and you've got a decent knowledge base. You're going to find that your style, and I say style, but not loose, but it's, it's, it can work wherever go. And I'm sure you've had that same success, Paul, because your words of wisdom were true words of wisdom. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. And the funny, I call it turnaround leadership because there's so many different kinds, right? So many different brands of leadership. If you can take someone and put them into a new unit, and get that new unit humming or pop them into a problematic unit and have that unit three to six months later just performing at such a high level, man, there's nothing better than that. But that oh. is based on individual relationships. I Complete. totally agree with you. They, 
They Wait. have to be true believers. They have to really feel like, yes, this is real. And I finally have a boss that I admire and I respect. Of course, they're going to stand up to meet that person's expectations. How would you yeah. not? It'd be, right? So yeah, yeah no, I totally get it. Okay, I got two more quick questions, Marcus. We're running out of time. So my first question is this. It's the COVID pandemic, remote work, great resignation, like quiet quitting, blah, blah, blah. Have any of your assumptions about what it means to be a successful leader changed in light of COVID? No, you know what? And in fact, it's actually gotten better. Meaning, again, back to the walk around, you know, uh, managing by walking around, you know, that was my, and I love doing it, right? But what I found is that I had to, you know, I had to change a little bit on how I was going to communicate this or, you know, the, the values and the, the management philosophy and everything. And so what I found out that, that it is portable, whether you're on Zoom, remote, doesn't matter. The fundamentals are the same. You know, it's about spending time with people. It's about caring about them, not just about did they do the job, but how are they doing as a person? So those fundamentals don't change at all. Do not change at all. In fact, yeah, it's interesting because I, again, back to my leadership class philosophy, when I was at Riot, I taught it to team of Riot, you know, remotely, uh, the production team that I was on. And then I taught it to the team at Fortis in, in Paris. It crossed language, basically, the philosophy. And we did it remotely. People still talk about it, right? They still go back to, certain elements of it that still carry. So I guess I guess what I'm saying is good management is good management, either on the floor or on the monitor. It's still good management as long as you're sincere and it comes across that way. You can't you can't fake it. You gotta be sincere and you gotta care. Yeah, totally agree. I I've I've said the way I say it is it needs to be more purposeful. It needs to be more deliberate. I mean, you know, it's not it's a lot easier when you just walk down the hallway and see someone getting a cup of coffee. When you don't see them for months or years at a time, it gets a little more challenging. But again, the same elements are there. They just need to be highlighted and you need to build that communication funnel so that yes. it's not quite yes. as haphazard. It's a little more structured. Can I use communication funnel? Because that's a great line. You know, I, you can have it. You can have right. okay. fi- Final question, because they don't get to talk to the GM okay. of Nickelodeon all that often. What's the best advice you have for business owners, for the C-suite, for senior executives to get more out of their people, to turn employees into true believers, to have more fun at work? What would you say? Be a human. That's the first thing. Have a sense of humor. Be vulnerable. Understand you're not going to be perfect. If you make a mistake, say, I made a mistake. That was my bad. You know, when somebody steps up, say, well done. Well done. And gosh, spend as much time as you want, you know, as looking at your monitor and spreadsheets as you spend with people, right? You just get to know them as people, know who they are, know what their vision is, where they want to get to, you know, what they're, what's driving them. If they just did that, people oriented, understand your entry points. If you want to give feedback, don't just bluntly say, you can do better at this. Look for the opportunity to give the feedback so that they will embrace it, remember it, and practice it. And I think as leaders sometimes, not sometimes, very often, we feel our job is done if I just give you feedback. 
whether you hear it or not, I go, well, I did my job. Now it's more about, but did they hear it? Did they hear it? Right. And what's that follow up mean? People want to be connected right now. I don't care if you're working from remotely or, or if you're in an office, people want to be connected. They want to be part of something that they believe in. And it's the responsibility of the leader to represent the studio, the business, the values, the people. That's their job. I always say, you know, if, if you think about a manager, it's all for one. The, the, their team is kind of working for them. If you think about a leader, it's one for all. Their job is to work for the people. It's kind of as simple as that. I hope I answered your question because I may have gone off topic. No, you didn't. Then the awful one versus the one for all. I never thought of that. I may have to borrow that one. So we're even. Speaking of connection, Mark, how can people get a hold of you? My email. It's real easy. Rachel has been putting it up on bulletin boards around the city. So thank you, Rachel. Inc at gmail.com. And I can tell it, right? MKT. MKT. MKT Inc at gmail.com. And I welcome all. I respond to everything. And, you know, if you ever want to have a follow-up conversation, I'll give you my phone number. We can chat, whatever you want to do. I'm here for you. Very nice. Thank you for that. Everyone, for me, if you want to send me a LinkedIn uh, invite, I'm just Paul Falcone one on LinkedIn. My website is paulfalconehr.com, seeing that I'm an HR guy. And my books are available in fine bookstores everywhere. <laughs> if you really want to become a better manager and leader, get the set. Paul really lays out an incredible foundation of how to be a good leader and a good manager. And then it's up to you to pick your style, how you want to work. But you got to have the foundation. Got to have the foundation, right? And because being a leader and being a manager is then I'll get back to you. Very often, you have to make that decision at that moment in time. It's okay to say, I'll get back to you, but very often at that moment in time. And Paul's books can give you that level of foundation and confidence. You don't have to take everything out of it because it's going to be tough. There's so much good stuff, but take the stuff that fits you and you will become a better leader and manager. Well, thank you, Mr. Taylor. I love it. This is great, Mark. I think we're just about two minutes out. Everyone, I just want to say thank you for the fishbowl invite. So nice to talk to the audience. Mark, you've been a wonderful host, just as you are a wonderful boss and leader. I'm so fortunate that I had those years working for you. And and I'll never forget them. I can tell you what, I'm going to keep writing about them too. So thank you for everything. This was great. Thanks for the invite. Rachel, thanks for hosting. You did an amazing job. You shepherded us through technology. (laughs) I learned so much today because of it. And thanks everyone for hanging in there for an hour and hearing us guys chat. So, uh, and reach out. If, If I can do anything, just let me know. I do want to mention that the books um, will be linked to the event as well. Post-event, you can also listen to the whole recording. So if you miss some of the conversation, you can go back to your profile um, and listen to it there. Um, and then there'll be links on where to connect as well. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks, Mark and Paul. Everyone have a great day. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye-bye. That's all, folks. Thanks again for listening to Hardly Working. Join us live next time and talk directly to the speakers and, who knows, end up here. Fishbowl is a social network where professionals of the same industry have anonymous career conversations. You can download Fishbowl on the App Store or Google Play. If you want to host a Fishbowl live event, get in touch at live at fishbowlapp.com. See you soon!